Hello and welcome to Clean Beauty Asia's podcast. I'm your host, Ali Rook. This interview series is a collection of conversations with people who operate, support and facilitate beauty brands doing business in Asia. My aim is to provide valuable insights and information to make your beauty brand's transition into Asia as smooth and successful as possible. This first series is dedicated to cross-border e-commerce in China, and I really hope you find it valuable. Thank you so much for listening. So welcome everyone. Today on my interview series, I've got Mark Schaub here. He's an international partner at Kingwood and Mallisons and a true China veteran. I'm very excited to have him here because he has extensive experience at helping foreign brands enter the China market, both from a trademarking perspective and also um, from his own admission, his personal passion is helping brands guide them through avoiding animal testing. So I think we've got a lot of things to talk about and a lot of things that brands will be interested in. So thank you so much, Mark, for joining me. Thank you. So the first question I had was really on trademarks because it's something that brands you know, often come to me, either they've got an issue already or, or they're sort of keen to understand what they should do. So really with trademarks, um, there is often a lot of difficulty in China because of the difference in the way that the system works. So from a beauty brand perspective, is there something that you can, a few tips that you could give a beauty brand looking to come into the market? Yeah, so I think the first thing is with the Chinese trademarks, the big differentiation with most Western systems is it's a first to file rather than a first uh, to use. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of brands uh, don't bother about registering, uh, filing the registration in China, which is perhaps the biggest single mistake that these companies make. It's relatively inexpensive, around six to seven hundred US dollars uh, per class per category, and that will last for 10 years. And so I think that's the first staging problem. Uh, The second issue, people think it takes a long time to get the registration, but that's not really the case. It takes around 12 months, but a lot of that time is I think the first thing to do is before you start talking to a distributor or even, you know, much less enter the market uh, yourself, uh, check if your trademark is available and do the registration as quickly as possible. Do the filing as quickly as possible. Yeah, it's, it's definitely something that, I mean, even big brands, so it's something that they often leave till it's too late. So, I mean, if a brand has a problem with their trademark in China, they find that it's already been filed, there's a dispute, what is, what is the best first course of action would you suggest? Well, I think that, I mean, I think firstly, you have to look at the uh, situation. Um, it used to be that even large brands wouldn't have registered in China, but that's, less the case nowadays. I think it's mostly the smaller, medium ones who didn't really think about it. Um, The bigger ones now are aware of it. I think if I was with a a brand which had a certain level of um, fame in overseas markets, this may be counterintuitive, but I would try to buy the trademark from the Chinese side. Uh, Litigation will take a long time. It's uncertain. And, you know, if you do it incorrectly, you may successfully knock out their registration just to have somebody else swoop in and get the registration because they're ahead of you in the queue. 
So, and, and that's difficult for a lot of people because they often feel emotional about it. So I think you have to look at the case. Uh, it is possible to get, you know, trademarks quashed for bad faith registrations, you know, like the trademark squatters. But like I say, that can really slow you down. Um, you know, also, which I didn't mention just before, but the other thing, it's very important to have your Chinese brand. And so most small and medium-sized companies wouldn't have that yet. And I think also work out, and it can be inexpensive, work out your Chinese name, make sure it's available. And a lot of people get frustrated because even though the Chinese language is so different from the English language, they often feel wedded to a name which they just came up with. And China is the number one uh, trademark country in the world. So if you think it is a short, punchy and good name, there is a high risk that somebody else has thought the same thing and mm -hmm. registered before you start marketing it and launching it, come up with the Chinese name and make sure you've got your application. Okay, yes, Chinese. That's a good one. The one that um, brands often, you know, obviously you need to trademark your English name, but also have do that due diligence in that first process of working out what your Chinese name should be and then and then doing that. That's, that's very key. Um, okay, so on trademarks, um, it's, a, it's an emotive, as you sort of touched on, it's an emotive topic, but it's something that um, brands should just get on and do. I think even, even if they're not looking at, to enter the market yet, as you said, if they've got some degree of recognition in their home market, if you've got, you know, 700 plus pounds or uh, USD, just go ahead and, and trademark it to be safe and better safe than sorry. Yeah, well, at least, I mean, even if you're a small, medium-sized company, I realize there are, you know, uh, investment restraints. But I think really, if you ever think China would be uh, a possible market for you, at least for your English name, register that because the Chinese name, you know, that can always be uh, dealt with later. Mm, yeah, okay. Okay, so on to the, the second part, which is really about um, getting into the China market without animal testing and something that you uh -huh. you said that you're particularly interested in. And I know that it's it's something that all, my, all the brands that I work with are cruelty-free brands. So we mainly do cross-border e-commerce. Um, with the new changes coming in 1st of January next year, the CSAR, is there anything that you particularly think, you know, I think things are not fully clear yet, but from your perspective, is there something, headlines that brands should really be looking at or well, nothing about animal testing unfortunately so i think um you know uh, cruelty free it's not a legal term so i think you know there can be differences of opinion on what is uh, a cruelty free brand and you know i think uh, some of the organizations even have more strict controls and uh, you know definitely some of the beauty bloggers have you know stricter uh, requirements than others uh, so I think, um, you know, I think you also know my friend Meta Knutsen, who does uh, together with CFI in the UK, a pilot project in Shanghai, where they're helping, um, you know, UK brands primarily at the moment to enter the China market through this Leaping Bunny project. And basically it takes advantage of the exemption for domestically, domestic manufacturers who can get exemption for animal testing for non-special use uh, cosmetics. So, you know, most cosmetics except for things like skin whitening and things like that. Uh, so I think that's an interesting model uh, for people who want to uh, enter the market in that way. And I think something which I've seen a bit in recent times is a lot of the big brands, they own other brands which are more bespoke. And even some of the 
large brands are moving to cruelty-free within China. So it used to be always this kind of um, slightly weasel wording, like, oh, we're cruelty-free unless it's required by mandatory by the government. Uh, <laughs> country, uh, which is always China, actually, that's a country. Mm -hmm. But a lot of those guys are now using the domestic exemption. I don't think China's going to outlaw um, animal testing in the near future. They'll probably only do it if they become such a powerhouse of export that it's a problem for them to export to places like Europe or California or Australia. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, okay, well, that, that's, that's interesting because I know that there are different thoughts around, especially non-special use um, cosmetics and, and how, uh, you know, there, there's a lot of hope that that would, the CSAR will bring um, non-animal testing route to market quicker. Um, but and I think they've like always that. wanted that. I mean, people have always been hoping, but, you know, I think the first article I wrote about animal testing stopping was like 15 years ago. So I'm a little bit uh, dated now. Yeah, because, sure. yeah, <clears throat> I think it's something that perhaps the consultants and other people put out there because it attracts a lot of eyeball attention. But mm -hmm. I don't know if people actually find the uh, evidence of this happening yes no it's um it's as as you said it's something that has been going on for a long time and there's a lot of hope pinned on it but at least nowadays we have cross-border e-commerce as a route and we also have meta you know the the trial project um with meta which is is definitely something that um some brands have done very successfully um so i i think that at least there are routes there are routes to market that are cruelty free um, and then I guess finally, because I know that you work with different beauty brands and you have a lot of extensive experience with the China market, is there, are there any specific types of new beauty brands that you see entering the market, like any sort of trends or specific things that you think would be useful for people to share? Uh, yeah, I think, look, I think. Probably the most interesting thing is this kind of leaping bunny model or this model where people outsource part or a lot of the production in China. I think probably for the Chinese consumers, you've actually seen a lot of the most successful cosmetic companies are Chinese, which is not a surprise to me. People, Western companies often think uh, heritage, heritage, uh, but, you know, actually it started with mobile handsets where Chinese people prefer their mobile handsets from China. And it's even now infant formula and milk to a degree. I mean, people would say that's you know, very surprising. But I think, you know, Chinese milk is becoming much more popular than those foreign brands. So I think, you know, the cosmetics industry, what we're seeing is a lot of you know, Chinese people putting perhaps cruelty-free or other organic or things like that above the, you know, heritage. I think, you know, a few years ago, people would say it had to be produced in France or something like that. I think that's softening a bit. And I think what we're also seeing is a lot of the medium-sized brands, I think for small brands, it's still difficult unless they want to do cross-border e-commerce. Mm -hmm. But I think medium-sized brands, um, they probably need a bit of a China strategy. And I'm not sure if cross-border e-commerce is able to penetrate the market as much as people think. I mean, it's a good way to test and get mm -hmm. recognition. But then again, like you said about the trademark, brand's important because that's how people search for those products is through the brand and the trademark. And so I guess what we're, trying, what we're seeing now is people who've been a bit successful with cross-border trying to do the general trade, and that's why it's important to manufacture locally because imported cosmetics need the animal yes, testing. That's, that's, yeah, I think that's probably an interesting area that we're seeing. 
Yes, yes. And, and, and the point on Chinese brands, I think, to me, it's not surprising either. I mean, they're Chinese, they know the consumer, they know all the ecosystems, they're able to, to you know, it's targeted at the audience. I think, I think what will be interesting is whether, when, not whether, um, a luxury uh, Chinese beauty brand really comes to the forefront. I think we've seen a lot in the mass market, um, but, but seeing what happens with, with, the, with the luxury sector. But like, as we said, there are still, there are good options now for cruelty-free brands to enter the market through, you know, through physical retail as well, through this, um, this pilot project. And I, I, do, I do think that that's something that um, is, is exciting for brands. So, yeah, great. Well, thank you so much, Mark. I think there are a few nuggets in there that will really um, help small and medium-sized brands coming in. And I think the takeaways are make sure that you make sure that you trademark as soon as you can, your, your English, your, your English language name. And, and if you can, then go to that next level with the Chinese name as well. I think they're, they're, um, that's key. So if people want to reach out or find out about your services, what's the best way to, to do that? Uh, I think well, we're relative, I mean, the name is relatively uh, unique. So if they just would put in my name in China, they'll probably find me on Google. So they can send me an email through LinkedIn on there. Great. I'll, I'll link to the LinkedIn as well. Okay. All right. Thank you so much, Mark. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me in this episode of Clean Beauty Asia, the podcast with me, Ali Rook. I hope you found the content useful with tips and tricks and takeaways that can really help you move your China journey forward. I always like to hear from my listeners, so please join me on LinkedIn, Ali Rook, or Instagram, Clean Beauty Asia, and I'll be very happy to talk to you more. Thanks again for listening. See you next week.